0: Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I'm your host, Andy Sitto. Today feels like a milestone, a landmark, if you will. If you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, I've said that it's my goal to reach 100 episodes. Well, today, I'm halfway there. I want to thank Patrick Badgley, who's been here since the very beginning, mastering all of these podcasts and putting them up online. He does a whole lot of work behind the scenes. So thank you, Patrick, at PQ Mastering for that. He's uh, one of the sponsors, so I'll mention him more in just a few moments. But it's really cool to get to 50, and I look back at all the fun conversations I've had and all the things I've learned. I started this podcast as a way to chat with people that I, I don't normally go get lunch with for whatever reason. You know, we, we all know a lot of people in the music scene and I always regret not talking to so and so more, so and so more, and this is a great way to connect with people and build the community and hopefully offer some things for some people. So I love doing it, I'm absolutely thrilled to be halfway to that goal of 100, and who knows. Once I get there, maybe maybe you'll continue further. Maybe I'll start a new podcast. I don't know yet. It remains to be seen. My guest today is Sarah Slayton. I'll chat more about her in a moment, but I just wanted to mention how great of an interview she was. I've had uh, it's been a thrill to interview everybody that I've interviewed and everybody's great, but I've been as I've been doing this more and more and the show is getting broadcast to more and more people. I've been trying to study speaking a little bit more and listen to how other podcasts do things and how questions are answered and how I can better interview, how I can better interject without interrupting and things like that. And two things that I always notice is a lot of people will answer questions, but you really have to pry at them to get them to dig deep, or they'll do the exact opposite, where you ask a question and they'll they'll just keep talking and talking and it's hard to jump in um and and interject as an inner as the interviewer it's hard to interject as the interviewer and say hey hold on i want to jump over here let's not go over there and sarah was was absolutely perfect she was she went deep with the questions she gave great answers she has so much knowledge to give and so many great stories yet at the same time she'd answer the question and and pause and we'd do another one so it was she was just a, a great interview um, so for the listeners this is this is one of the best ones i think i'm very happy with how it turned out big news for middle class rock star as you may have heard the last few weeks we've been getting aired on chris k's colorado playlist chris is accepting an eight minute segment of this show every week and it airs on his show which is broadcast over 25 fm frequencies throughout the state so that's really awesome and the podcast is getting out to more people and i absolutely love it so thank you chris k for that opportunity if you haven't yet check out chris k's colorado playlist it's played Weekly, all over the state, over 52 hours. And thank you to all of you for listening. I sure do appreciate it. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help me continue to grow it and continue doing it, the very best thing you can do for free is rate and review on the Apple Podcasts app. Of course, you can listen anywhere, you can stream it anywhere, you can review it anywhere. And on what, however you listen to your podcast, giving it a rate and review actually does help out a whole lot, and it just takes you a couple moments. So if you like the podcast and could spare a moment to do that, I'd appreciate it very much. 2020 has been a tough year for everyone, but if you'd like to support the podcast in a monetary way, you can do so at my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Andy Sitto. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash andy s y d o w for less than the cost of one cup of coffee per month you can help support this podcast and get some exclusive content based around both my music career my solo career and this podcast as i mentioned earlier my guest today is sarah slayton she's been a mainstay in the colorado music scene for over a decade she grew up in northwest arkansas and began playing guitar at the age of 17. That led her to major in entertainment management at Missouri State University. In 2008, she was able to get a summer marketing internship with global concert promoter Live Nation. She fell in love with Denver and moved to Colorado full-time in 2009. She began working with AEG Live and venues like Red Rocks, the Ogden Theater, and First Bank Arena as a production assistant. During that time, she had the chance to work with artists such as Prince, Adele, U2, Taylor Swift, and many other large touring acts. The event production world also led her to gigs at Coachella, Bonnaroo, Hangout Festival, and the X Games in Aspen, which she still works each winter. During that time, Sarah also worked with a boutique agency in Denver, The Vine Field, booking and managing local acts such as Take to the Oars, Rob Drabkin, Eldrin, and Sarah and the Meanies. She also helped to curate South by Southwest Showcase, the Colorado Music Party, which used to host over 120 different local bands every year. She was the director of artist development at Spokes Buzz and got to be a part of programs that amplified the Colorado music scene and provided opportunities in and out of state for bands. In 2014, she founded a new band called Edison with her friend Dustin Morris. Maxwell Hughes soon joined and the band began to see success very quickly. They had the chance to open up several tour dates for Iron & Wine. They also opened for Nathaniel Rateliff and Shaky Graves. In early 2016, they signed to Rhyme & Reason Records after the label head saw them at Folk Alliance at a 3 a.m. showcase. The New Jersey-based label helped them put out their first full-length LP, Familiar Spirit during their tenure as a band, they clocked almost 200,000 miles on the road and played countless shows along the way. Familiar Spirit has now reached almost a million streams on Spotify. The record label didn't go quite as expected, though, and a few months after the release of Familiar Spirit, the record label cut off communication. They kept touring and making things happen on their own for the next year and a half until they decided to call it quits in 2018. All three band members have since gone on to their own musical projects that they've had success with. In the last couple years, Sarah has released several singles, including Dance in the Sun in 2019, the L-Word theme, Time to Go in early 2020, Tie Me Down, a duet with Sarah Hoffenberg, and her brand new single, Get Up, is coming out on December 11th. She's also working with the Armory in Denver to produce a documentary which will highlight the struggles of both venues and artists in Colorado during the COVID era. At the end of this episode, you'll get to hear Sarah's new single out December 11th, Get Up, in its entirety. Sarah Slayton is one of Colorado's most beloved artists, and I sure hope you enjoy our conversation. Here it is right now. Middle Class Rockstar Podcast is brought to you by PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. For any of your audio or restoration needs, go to www.pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. Hey, how's it going?
1: Well, hello there.
0: So how's uh, how's twenty twenty been for you? Let's just let's address it right off the bat.
1: I mean, twenty twenty has been a bit of. a... Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Of course. Oh yeah. So twenty twenty has been a bit of a shitstorm for me, uh, along with a whole lot of other people. So uh, it's been interesting. You know, it started out with um, making a lot of plans for the summer of twenty twenty before COVID hit, and uh, having some really cool opportunities that were on. Uh, the horizon and then having COVID come uh, really swiftly going into lockdown and basically just shutting down and hitting pause on on my own career for um, until recently. Um, And it's basically been a year of reflection and um, personal time. I hadn't like uh, had this much time without a show in 13 years. So Uh, big, big time for reflection. And then at some point it's, it's now turned into a a time for action where I'm working on things creatively, but most of the year was just kind of a, yeah, pause.
0: And you're talking about having to cancel everything. What, is there one thing that sticks out to you where you look back and say, shit, that thing in August was really going to be awesome. Is there one thing that sticks out like that, that got canceled?
1: Yeah, totally. It's like, um, this thing called Dinah Shore. And it's in Palm Springs every year. And it's actually like the largest, um, lesbian, uh, women's event, um, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, you know, it's a whole community, but it's the biggest women's event in the country. And it's happened in Palm Springs for a long time. It stemmed off of like a, a golf tournament, uh, way back in the day, but you know, huge acts have played there like, uh, Lady Gaga and Lizzo right before she blew up Tegan and Sarah, um, Just a bunch of bands and I hadn't announced anything online yet, but this past year after I tried to get into that event for like, I mean, the better part of a decade, I'd emailed them every few years trying to have something happen when I had like a release around the same time of the festival. And this past year, um, I finally got the chance to be in the Emerging Artist Contest and I was going to go to the event uh, with my partner Sarah Joel and be a freelance journalist for the week for Outfront Colorado and write articles from the festival and then also um, perform while we were there and network and I was really stoked to go. So that's the thing that uh, when it got canceled, I just hope we have another chance to go do because I was super stoked after uh, trying for so long.
0: Have you heard from them as a, you know, when it happens 2021 or 2022, will you be given that same opportunity or not
1: sure yet? I'm not sure yet. It's all just, I mean, it's a whole new ball game. The next go around, we'll see what I'm doing and what they want and where we're all at. But yeah, I know that I don't think it's happening in April of 2021. I don't know uh, when they'll do it. It's a global event. So people come from all over the world and stay in Palm Springs at this little complex for like four days. And there's like fashion shows and music and pool parties and like celebrity pop-ups. And so yeah, uh, I'd love to go again, but we'll see. It's cool that we were going to go. That's really affirming. So.
0: Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Aside from the physical cancellations, the physical things on your calendar, um, it's been a emotional, people have handled it differently in terms of emotions. Um, mm-hmm. I know some of our musician friends said, okay, I'm setting up the home studio and I'm not going to miss a beat and I'm going to do it. And other people said, I don't know what to do with myself. Other people didn't feel that creative push and they just kind of needed to reflect? Where where have you been mentally for the majority of this?
1: Um, I mean, it's, t- it's tough. I, from the get go, I had like the kind of, uh, I guess, like a do something attitude because uh, I was honestly in like a day job that I, I didn't like at all. And um, I hadn't been playing music that much since my band Edison had uh, stopped going so hard for a few years. And I uh, was just making plans to kind of reemerge again. And when COVID hit um, within th- like three days of the shutdown, I launched a live stream series. So um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've tried to do things the whole time. Um, and that's because I feel so helpless that that's just my personality is to to do something when it feels like I can't do anything. And what you started
0: was the no co Live from Home show, correct? Yes. Um, and, and that was something I had the opportunity to play and it was a ton of fun. And it was one of those things where you saw different people coming up every week, and everybody in the scene was playing it and discovered some new people. So, what was what was the organization process
1: for that like? I, I know
0: you went all out. You were you were delivering beer from the sponsors. You stopped by
1: my house. <laughs> I did. I did. I'm crazy. Uh, so back in the day, like when we could be in person, I used to help throw some parties at South by Southwest, and uh, some of them included like the Colorado Music Party. Yeah. They had like 120 bands at it and we had two stages and I helped do logistics and MC. And so uh, doing that, like throwing my own like backyard parties at South by and, and just at, like little pop-up parties. I've done a lot of that kind of festival coordination before. So it was easy whenever the shutdown happened. I knew we'd all have canceled shows. And I thought, what if all our friends got together and played shows like once a week and so I just made a Gmail account really quick and a Facebook page and just made some graphics that aren't very good. As you can tell, I made them in like an hour or two and uh, and threw up this page. And then before I knew it, we had in total like 92 bands and we ended up reaching almost a quarter million people and having like 4,000 followers on the page, which is really crazy. That
0: is really a quarter million. <laughs> that, that is really crazy. Is What do you plan to do with that going forward or anything? I mean, once we're out doing normal shows again, is there is there a future for that organization and what you're doing with that?
1: Totally. Um, I'm actually, I'll announce it here. I'll be announcing on social soon that um, we're actually going to put together a holiday show. So I've asked people that performed at the virtual showcase before if they want to send in like a cover song of a holiday song. They can, and I'll just edit that together for like an hour-long special um, or two nights if I get enough songs back. So we'll do that to do something around the holidays because I know a lot of people uh, like myself are just staying at home and not going to see their family. Um, so hopefully we can bring a little something, something to them. Uh, and in the future, I think it'd be so dope at like the UMS or whatever, like local festival. I'd love to rent a bar for like a half day and have like a, a showcase featuring some of the bands from no-co, like in person.
0: That would be so cool. That would be so cool. So, as this year comes to a close, we're talking it, it's not out yet, but we're chatting the day before Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, you've got a couple of things on the horizon. One of them is your new single that's coming out uh, December 11th. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Oh, thanks, yeah. Um, the song's called Get Up. And uh, the titles, you know, kind of the song is about it's about getting back up after uh, a kick in the pants like 2020. You know, I was at this crossroads where, um, you know, I I felt like the life I was living even right before COVID hit wasn't the one that the life that I wanted to be living. And I um, had kind of put my music on the shelf for a little bit and and was ready to take it off the shelf like right when this all hits. So it's really about that kind of self-doubt, like, is this how I want to be living my life or my life doesn't feel right right now, which can also just be from it being put on pause. And then, you know, my, I wrote it, like I have this inner voice that tells me like I'm stronger than this and I can get back up. And it's a song that I just wrote cause I needed it at the time, but then it's evolved into, um, I guess a bit of like my own, my version of an anthem for this year, which is hopeful, but also like, this sucks, but it's going to get better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Sure. And that's what we're all, we need an anthem like that. We're all on to it. And I know it's already up for pre-save on Spotify. I pre-saved it. So listeners pre-save that shit. Um, (laughs) Thank you. And are you doing any sort of premiere with it or is it just going to be out on, on streaming platforms day of?
1: So it'll be out on all the streaming platforms. Uh, I'm, seeing right now if I'll do an early listen like the day before and then I'm also going to premiere a music video the day that the song comes out so I'm working on a premiere partner for the video and I just finished shooting that like two nights ago with Kindub who is a a hip-hop duo in Fort Collins that also does video production and does incredible work and they have their own recording studio like a the big collective um, that does a lot so I just got done working with them and and we'll be hopefully doing some premieres around that
0: Good, awesome. And when you were talking about even before the pandemic feeling like you weren't living your life in the way that you wanted to, is there something in particular that you would attribute that to?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple years ago, my band Edison had finished like our final tour. And that was after a lot of years of just going nonstop. And I felt like I needed just a break and a breather. And at the time I was so, you ever get that to that point where you're so exhausted that you just question everything and you just kind of want to grab a nine to five. So you don't have to struggle so much. And um, so I did that and um, what I thought I was getting into for work uh, was a lot of aspects of what I was doing were wonderful, but. Um, it overall big picture wasn't what I, I thought I was getting myself into and not where I saw myself going. So I found myself um, moving to a, a new city and in a job and in a lease and kind of feeling stuck, you know, between a rock and a hard place and having for the first time in my life, those feelings of like, are my best days behind me? Not Maybe not in like a nuclear family sense, but like in a career creative sense, like are my best creative days behind me. And that was like really tough to face.
0: I I imagine, yeah, that's just an, an incredible answer. As I'm reflecting on that, um, feeling like your best creative days are behind you. I know with Edison, you guys really some really great stuff happened, um, and you guys signed with a label, and and then things things didn't work out with it for whatever reason, and and it led it led to the end of the band, and I I'm sure that's a very um, you know, the fe- the feeling, the best days behind you, but I haven't I haven't done my best stuff yet or or whatever. <laughs> you know.
1: That's exactly how it feels. Yeah. Um,
0: what what was the nine to five you were doing?
1: So I was the general manager of a bar venue um in Fort Collins. And so I came to Fort Collins for that. Um yeah, not to go into too much detail, but I thought, you know, there'd be uh more more music focused uh things happening and in the future. And it, and it ended up just being uh, a little different than what I thought I was I was going to be doing. And so I found myself just at a crossroad of when you realize you're not in the right spot, but you don't know how to get out of it.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, let's let's chat about Edison as we're leading into that, um, because I know there was lots of great things with, with that group. And you guys traveled around. From, you hit the road hard for several years. And I'm trying to remember your van, I, I remember Trailer Swift, your Van Morrison. Yes. Van Swift, you rolled around the country and Van Morrison and Trailer Swift.
1: Yeah, That's we did. Hilarious.
0: Um, and a lot a lot happened. There was a record deal at one point. There's songs on Spotify with hundreds of thousands of streams. How did that group first form? And was that what, two, 2014, 2015?
1: Yeah, we formed in 2014, so I moved to Colorado in 2008, and a big chunk of my time from 2008 to 2013 was spent um, working for other artists and managing some other bands at this place called The Vinefield. I actually managed like Rob Drabkin, and uh, I booked Eldrin and worked with like Takes to the Oars, a bunch of bands, and so I was really focused on that, but I'd always had these songs and been playing shows like sometimes, but not pursuing my music career and then I met Dustin Morris who is this incredible musician that plays like any instrument you put in front of him and we really clicked and so he started coming over to my house and playing like mandolin on some of my songs and then he started playing on stage with me sometimes and at one point it was like we should make a band like I want to play music with you forever um, is how I felt. And so we decided to call it Edison. And the first record was a lot of songs that I already had before the, the band was called that. And then uh, Dustin and I wrote a few tunes together and put out an EP, just the two of us. And then we met Maxwell Hughes, who used to be the guitarist in the Lumineers. And I met him because I was working at a music nonprofit um, doing artist development at the time. And he was one of the bands on like my roster. So he'd come to see me for like office hours. <laughs> and we vibed. And we uh, went on tour. And the band really formed on a tour to South by Southwest when Max was opening for Dustin and I. And then before we knew it, we were touring as Edison with the three of us and uh, we put out you know, a couple singles and then we were playing at Folk Alliance International and our uh, head of our label saw us at a showcase at 3 a.m. inside a hotel room with no PA and no mics. And I was just so tired. I was awake. I guess we put on a good show and it ended up getting our label deal in just went really fast for a couple of years.
0: What 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 gave you that initial bump before the record label? Were you, cuz you guys were getting some plays around town and getting some notoriety around town. How did you get from just forming the band right to then being in a place for a, a label to notice you?
1: Um I would say it's like 90% work and 10% playing music. So I was just uh, when I wasn't working my my side gig I was on the computer like 10 hours a day just emailing every local radio station all the local media our music and as soon as anyone played it I would take one thing we got and try to turn it into another and then we got opening slots for a few bands and then end up emailing Daytrotter and they wanted us and uh, submitting us to festivals like CMJ and South by Southwest and Folk Alliance and it was just like little chipping away at little things Um, but it just happened kind of quickly to where within like a year of us working together, we found the label. And by then it was like um, really made sense they were a new label and they were, you know, looking for a band to sign. We were actually, I think like the third band they signed. So um, at that point we had just landed a few really good things, like the iron and wine tour, which was just for me, annoyingly emailing the belly up. And then once we got that, I followed up with the agent if they wanted us on more shows and, They did. So it's just like knowing it's a human on the other end of an email. And I send like 300 emails to get like five responses. But if one of the the five is a day trotter, then I'll take it.
0: And Iron and Wine is a big uh, first national act to get a full tour with. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty cool accomplishment in and of itself. How was that tour with them?
1: It was great we only did a couple dates with them in colorado and utah um but once we landed that we were able to land better opening slots and it helped our utah following because we played like such a big show there and we made sure that we had booked the same city like immediately after so um that was helpful for sure the 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 tour that helped us a lot when we opened for a band was this band called jared in the mill yeah they're like a really hard hard working band from Arizona, and they took us out for 35 shows around the country. And that was massive because I booked all the Edison shows except for a couple. And it's a ton of work, a ton of work to book like a couple hundred shows a year. So when they took us out for like 35, I was like, wait, what? They're already booked for us. And you have a lot of people coming like this. It's crazy.
0: yes. Um, <laughs> and so before before the Folk Alliance and the record label happened, you were the booking agent and the manager.
1: Yes. And even after we had a record label, I was still managing and booking the band. And like I'd be on the weekly phone call with the label head, the radio promoter, the publicist, the rep from the orchard that did our like distribution. And then eventually we had a manager for a short time who managed like Big Frida and Sweet Crude. Yeah, And he would be on the calls. Um, but I still was like kind of co-managing during all that. So I was like, you know, in the hotels in the morning on tour, like emailing for a couple hours, then driving to the next city and, you know all that stuff.
0: Wow. Doing it all. And, and you have a lot of experience in the industry too, as you were saying, right, when you moved to Denver, you jumped in on the industry side right away.
1: Yeah, that's what my degree's in. So I came out to be the marketing intern for Live Nation like way mm-hmm. back in the day, like 12 years ago. And then I spent like nine years working with AEG at Red Rocks and doing like big shows and uh, like the Ogden and uh, the Pepsi Center and whatever else. I've just worked for a bunch of people on the production side. And then on a small scale locally, I've been like throwing events and booking bands for a while.
0: You're somebody, if anybody, anybody in the music scene um, knows your name pretty quickly because you, you do all these different things. And I think, you know, whoever, if you're out playing shows, you're one of the names, everybody knows Sarah. Um, So you've, you've just been out doing a lot of cool things.
1: That can't be true. I don't believe that. See, I never see. I never know that. I never think that.
0: it's true. It's a hundred percent true.
1: Like tell my partner Sarah Joe, um, like, "Oh man, I don't think anyone knows I make music." She's like, "Honey, yes, they do." Like, oh, okay,
0: they do. <laughs> right. they do. Not sure.
1: <laughs>
0: so yeah, three a.m. showcase at Folk Alliance. For those people who don't know, Folk Alliance is it. It happens. It used to happen once a year, and pretty much. It, anybody in the folk scene, the Americana scene, labels, industry people, radio artists, they go, they network, they play. If you're lucky, you showcase. I should say, if you're good, you showcase. If you're good and and get the email in at the right time, whatever you get to showcase too. And so you guys got to showcase and got picked up by the record label there. And that was uh rhyme and reason out of New Jersey, correct?
1: Right. Yep. Rhyme and reason records.
0: And after getting picked up by the label, did anything change for you guys immediately numbers-wise? Or was it just like, well, now we have a label too?
1: Um, no, nothing changed immediately. I mean, they uh, they helped us get some more showcases at South By because we got signed in like February of 2016. So they helped us get some more shows at South By the following month. And we actually signed our record deal at the House of Blues in New Orleans like a week before South By. Um, but the, the impacts of the label... Uh, besides like uh, online validity when we announced it. Um, we started working with the Orchard who did our distribution to like uh, I guess an off branch of Sony or something. It's like Orchard Sony. And so they were the ones that were going to like pitch us to like uh, Spotify playlists and try to get our you know our album out in a bunch of record stores around the country. And so they were jumping on and I'd say the summer of the release, what happened was they helped us with PR getting like uh, some initial reviews from like consequence of sound, which was big. And that's all through their connections and, and really a record labels like a bank. That's what it is. So it's like they utilized some of their connections for us, but it wasn't like a life-changing thing. It was just that we signed away a whole bunch of our rights to be honest and, and lost a lot of our own um, autonomy and, had someone else in the room helping us make decisions and uh, not maybe not always the best ones um but where they were a huge asset was things that we couldn't afford like we recorded the familiar spirit lp which has like almost a million plays on spotify because of them so they paid for the producer picked our producer in texas for us and then they paid for the um, album to get printed so it was like a they funded the whole lp and then they helped fund some marketing around it like a college marketing campaign they funded the radio campaigns, so we can thank them for a lot of the streaming momentum i think um but we were signed right at a time when labels i don't even know if they'd realize like physicals aren't going to sell really right especially with a baby band and their whole the the deal we originally signed was it was supposed to be two eps and then an lp and it was like the two eps to build the band and the lp once we have like a bit of a following and we go to record this ep in texas and they have us cut like four or five extra songs just live in a room together, um, just to have them. And then like a month after we record, they're like, well, you know, with marketing costs, it'll cost the same for an EP or and LP and you're going to get a lot more reviews with an LP. So we just want to put these other five live songs on the record. And so somehow we ended up putting out an LP and that's the only record we put out with them. And, um, it was supposed to be like a three album deal, but I, I don't know something about, uh, they, they bamboozled us, but they definitely helped us with getting our streaming numbers up um, a lot and they, they helped us realize what not to do in the business.
0: (laughs) And I, I, when I look back, well, I guess this is as confusing of time as any in the industry, but when looking back, thinking about 2015, 2016, you know, as, as CDs were really going away, I don't know. it It was definitely a strange time where nobody really saw what was coming next. And so you guys, had something that was also that you recorded for them. You're going to record for them that that got totally shelved. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So we did our follow. We did an EP after Familiar Spirit because the label kept us like after Familiar Spirit came out. It was like they kind of ghosted us and quit responding to emails or phone calls. Like maybe like two or three months after the record came out, and then just had these. Because
0: it didn't have the ex the the numbers expectation.
1: I had no explanation at the time. <sighs> Um, I believe at one point I was told on the phone that people weren't into folk anymore and they weren't into the kind of music we were making and they couldn't have known that when they signed us or some stupid shit like that. But um, no, what happened is we had these four songs that uh, take me home was one that local radio picked up Uh, the song sideways, I think could have really done well with sync licensing, but you know, we sent them the demos that we had and then we paid to go back to that same producer to, to record some better demos for them thinking that would convince them. And nothing did so we were still just touring for like a year and a half trying to look basically online and social media like we were still in it and busy and touring off the same record as before and trying to keep going and we had got we had that van which had a van payment every month um so if you're off the road for a few months you still have to have a few grand for the van payment um so we were just chasing our tails and and losing hope and and finally you know um our drummer mandolin trumpet all things player uh, Dustin expressed, you know, uh, wanting to pursue his solo career, and we couldn't uh, not support that. Um, and at this point, the label had made it pretty clear they were gonna to drop us um, and not work with us anymore. And and so we were all just kind of heartbroken and tired and exhausted. So we called it after Tree Fort Twenty Eighteen and uh, decided to do a Kickstarter to record our final four song album that we put out ourselves, and then. We did a final show that August and haven't done anything except for one reunion show last October. That was like a half hour long, but yeah, it's kind of crazy.
0: Well, and so when they, they quit responding to you guys, rhyme and reason, was, was there any rhyme or reason? I'll see myself (laughs) out. Um, Was there any rhyme or reason to the fact that they kept silent for so long? Could they not have cut you off sooner? And did they prevent you from, releasing any of the songs that you demoed i mean they could you never release them or just not until the contract was up
1: no i mean that's the funny thing about the contract it's like it was supposed to be three records um and you know i still don't know what happened i think at the end of the day we just walked away because we were we had no faith in them anymore anyway but um no we got to release those songs they had nothing to do with those songs um they just still control. I mean, I still don't, I know we have almost a million plays on Spotify, but I don't, I haven't seen any money from that. I mean, a million plays only gets you $8,000, which would be split between three people, but 50% of that would go to the label, but I'm still not clear. Like I know we were playing Taco Bell every day and people have heard us in like grocery stores, but like, I don't have any transparency on any of that stuff. I know nothing. Like that whole record just feels like it doesn't belong to us really, you know, and we don't hear from them. And I haven't spoken to them in years now. And, i know they have artists that are active um but i feel like if i was in their shoes i feel like they probably spent a good amount of money on us didn't recoup their losses and decided just to write us off as a business loss you know if we're just a product to them we were a product that didn't do well but we also didn't get out of it what they promised at the initial offset
0: right so the decision um since you guys had sent your demos and didn't put out anything for a while you you were free to just walk away and put those out by yourself eventually. Yes. Gotcha. Yep.
1: We did do that, but it's also like we made it public that we weren't going to be a band anymore. So it's like how much momentum can a final EP get when everyone knows it's a final EP? And we did like a final tour just to do it but and say goodbye to some of our favorite fans on the road. But yeah, it was kind of tough to get legs behind a, a record for a band that won't exist. Well,
0: you well surpassed your Indiegogo goal on it.
1: We did. And that was huge and massive. And we ended up like getting to make a really great record with the Blasting Room because of that.
0: That's awesome. And now that it's now that it's broken up, uh, you know, you said Dustin wanted to pursue his own solo stuff. Um, I I think that Max Maxwell maybe has some, too. And you definitely have. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it is it, you know, in the long run, has it been for the best? Are you happy to be where you're
1: at now? I'm happy. I'm so happy where I'm at now. It, it took some time. Like I was honestly, it felt like a really bad breakup. We weren't like fighting with each other when the band ended. We all were like ended on a good note. But it's like I, I was mourning the loss of like, you know, that the family that we created on the road and and all that we had done. And it felt like, you know, you do countless hours of work for this, like end goal that you're pursuing. And it kind of felt like just deflating. And I, I miss the guys a lot. Um especially the first year. But, you know, now I think we're all to a point where we know it was like the right decision. And we're all in a good place. You know, Dustin's releasing like a new song every month on Spotify, which is crazy. And he now lives in Boise, Idaho, and is in like three bands. and He's the guy. And Maxwell ended up auditioning to be the guitarist uh, on touring guitarist for the band Radical Face, who I've loved since college, like they're so good. Um, and so he ended up going all over Europe with Radical Face as the hired guitarist. And then he was in the middle of the North American tour when COVID hit. Uh. So he's at home right now, um, but he's had great things going for him. So has Dustin. And we all got together man, before COVID hit and we're just over at Max's house one night, um, and jammed all night long and had good times. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to doing that again. And maybe one day at a festival, we'll play like a reunion show, but, they're crushing it and I'm really happy for him.
0: That's great. That's great. I I look back fondly on the show that we all got to play together in Ray a few years ago. Yes. And I remember the show very well in your guy's set and then I remember there's one bar in town and I befriended Maxwell at that bar and the two of us you know stumbled out at some point uh you know late that night or early the next morning. And uh, and I actually I don't think I've chatted with him since we had such a great time that night.
1: <laughs> I believe that 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 sounds like us and Max. <laughs> that was fun. I remember that amphitheater it was so cool. You wouldn't expect it back there. Uh, no,
0: but it was yeah, it was a gorgeous gorgeous amphitheater in Ray, Colorado. Um, so looking forward to your solo stuff now, and I guess you addressed this a little bit earlier, but. Do you do you look forward with one hundred percent optimism on your stuff, or do you do you have some of that maybe worry that you won't get the same approval with your solo stuff or that you won't reach the same stream numbers or the same touring numbers? Do you do you feel that sort of pressure at all?
1: No. That is the best part about it. This I I had so much self-induced pressure, especially because I felt like I was not doing the uh, typical thing, you know, uh with my life. Uh but no, I'm to a really great place right now of like like covid has helped that. Like it's not all about the numbers. Like yes, it matters because you want to grow your following and if you're a small business you want to grow your business. But man, no, I'm just so happy with the music I'm making. I'm going to be so happy when I can be on stage again and have human beings there and not an iPhone that I'm performing to. I'm going to be Grateful for every show I get to play, like whether it's big or small. And I feel like now it's like I'm in such a good spot to just enjoy the ride. And I now, for the rest of my life, can play music when I want, if I want. And it doesn't have to be this full time, all the time thing. But the fact that I can do it, like, and even when I sit in my room and play music and it heals me and chills me out, like I'm so at peace with having that in me that, like, it's just icing on the top if something works out.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. I think mean, it's a, probably a great attitude to have about it. And probably one that's, that'll, that'll get you further than the last project ever did too.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Those, those Edison boys sure could play some good music.
0: That was a great band.
1: <laughs> that was a fun band.
0: Um. So another thing that you've been working on, and I think you're saying this is in connection with uh, the production that you do at the Armory, Mm -hmm. you're working on a a documentary revolving around the music scene in Colorado in the pandemic.
1: Yeah, so I got connected a couple months ago with uh, the guys that run the Armory, which the Armory Denver, it's in Rhino, and it used to house the Colorado militia back when it was built in like the late 1800s. It also served as a boxing ring at some point in the thirties. And it also served as a sign making production house. So a bunch of like neon signs were made there. And now it's a digital art space where they do, um, like immersive live streams and also film, uh, like theater to film productions, you can think like Hamilton on Disney plus style. And so, uh, they brought me on to see if I would want to curate some productions and potentially some like high-end live streams for artists. And so i'm looking at 2021 to start doing that and the first thing we're doing is this documentary that i think is really critical to cover the pandemic's impact on the colorado music scene and it'll be told through interviews with musicians artists venue owners um, stakeholders from the city and the people that have been directly impacted and it will be woven in with live performances with like a few songs from colorado bands
0: how, how long is it going to be or or is that does that remain to be seen
1: tbd i mean i'm i'm still there's so many parts i'm working out right now but i'm hoping for like a 60 minute runtime with eight songs that would take up a good chunk eight artists one song a piece um but yeah i'm hoping around an hour and that way we can maybe uh, distribute it later on down the road to local tv to help raise awareness because it's really a call to action for people to help save the venues here and to help the venue crew members who are running out of un- unemployment and have a short runway.
0: I think you just answered my next question of, of, on what the what the message was, what you hope to accomplish with it. So you want to raise awareness, and so hopefully people can come to the aid of, I mean, artists and venues, especially venues right now, so that they can continue to house artists.
1: Right, so um, there's a lot of things that people don't know about, um, and I think uh, the folks from one of the folks from Levitt is going to speak to this in the doc, but you know, we've had over a billion dollars of economic losses to the state of Colorado. We have over 8,000 people still unemployed in the music sector. We have 90% of our independently owned small venues at risk of closing if Congress doesn't fund them. So there's different initiatives and ways people can get involved, like save our stages, which is like save our We'll be mentioning that in the film, but then we're also going to partner with the local relief fund to get, um, proceeds from ticket sales to go directly back to people here in the denver area
0: do you think that we'll see a time in the near future where things will get back to a a normal um with the venues and touring artists
1: definitely but um the the bones in the graveyard you know until then are are left to be determined i mean yeah we're going to get there but but what it looks like there is in flux right now. So it's like, yeah, the Ogden and Red Rocks and the First Bank Arena will be fine, but will we have Metal Lark? Will we have the High Dive? Will we have these small stages that support up and coming bands and, and touring bands that, I mean, you know, from touring Andy, like those stages are the ways that you get to tour and without them, we're really losing an integral part of the whole process of growing and developing artists
0: yeah i i i mean when i go out on tour i'm certainly not playing the ogden theaters around the country um, it's the meadowlarks and even smaller and i think that is an imp- important thing you know to have a place where artists can develop and grow and and get in and, and work themselves into those into those bigger stages but it is a tough thing we're going through right now of losing 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 all that which i think would be a shame for for everybody um you would you'd never get to hear about certain artists that Mm -hmm. that you would otherwise
1: well i mean it's a huge part of the career you go out to like you know we started in salt lake city playing at this place called like the piper down which is like a restaurant and then once we had enough people there we could move over to like kilby court which was a ticketed show and then once you had enough people coming there we got to move up to the state room and open up for bigger bands there. And it's like that, that little, like, you know, the rock and the ripple in the water, you have to just grow bigger in a slow way. And and without those little stages, it's hard to get in the door at a bigger venue, because you usually have to build up your resume in that town. So I think if a lot of venues close, it's going to be tragic. And maybe the corporate guys will buy them up. Um, but I think we'll see a big resurgence and of like house shows and, and lawn concerts and that's where i'll be focused next year i don't know when i'll play a packed club show again but i'd love to hit up my email list and i'm working with parlor house concert uh booking site to help you know anyone in the country can book me if you want we'll just have to work out the safety protocols and and be in the backyard so um i think that's where i'm headed and with big events with insurance i bet we won't see like a coachella till april of like 2022 at the earliest
0: yeah You're talking about growing in, growing in venues and working up from, uh, you know, working up to the stateroom in in Salt Lake. Where's a couple spots where you felt like you did a really good job of growing, and where's a couple couple towns that maybe you did everything by the books and you and you didn't quite see the numbers.
1: In a lot of towns, um, it's hard on the road. the The hardest towns to develop in are the. Big cities. I feel like we did the best in like secondary markets where it was easier to get press if you were trying to get your own press and easier to get radio if you're trying to get your own radio. Um, and that's where we'd really get these like fan bases that would sometimes drive to the big city then. Um, the hardest to markets to develop were like LA, Chicago, um, New York until we had the label. And then we, did better in New York, but um, it's hard to rise above the noise. I mean, I feel bad for bands that come to Denver, you know, there's more music going on any given night in Denver than in Austin, according to a thing I read. So it's a lot of competition. Um, but I'm really proud of the way that we developed Salt Lake City, and I'm I'm proud of the way that we developed um, the Northwest, so like Portland, Seattle, and some of those places.
0: And if somebody were to want to get a hold of you about doing a house concert, what would be the best way to do
1: that? Or they can email me at sarahsleightonmusic at gmail.com or send me a message on my website at sarahsleighton.com. And if you use the um, Parlor House Concert app, I will be launching my tour of veils in 2021.
0: And in the show notes as well, you can look for that, um, for the uh, the Parlor link and Maybe your email, for, if I'm allowed to put that in there. and um, Put it in there,
1: baby. Put it in. Put it in.
0: <laughs> and uh, the Save Our Stages link, too, uh, and a couple other resources as well. So if you're listening to this and you feel compelled to help the cause, there will be a few ways that you can do that. Thank you. Um, what did I leave? Oh, I know one other thing I wanted to ask you. After the label situation that's been in the back of my head, Would you ever consider signing a label again? Would it depend on the deal or are you heck no on it?
1: Um, I would never say no to anything until I looked at it. So uh, I'm open to things, but I am also more protective of myself now. Um, So I'm totally open. It would depend on what the deal looked like and what the label was and other artists on their roster and what their in-house marketing looked like and what the deal looked like and you know it would just all be business I put a lot of I, I actually thought like one of the label heads in my old place was like one of my best friends at the time and I don't think I would ever mix uh, business and pleasure in my heart like that again I, I'm very much uh, I'd be open to it but it's going to be all business for me yeah <laughs> that's sad that's so sad maybe one day I'll have a good personal relationship with a team member I just you know got a little stank in my mouth from it
0: got the boxing gloves on there's nothing wrong with that
1: yeah you know it's like you gotta protect no one cares about your music as much as you do and nobody cares about you in the business world as much as you do um and you got to be careful to 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 know that no matter how nice people are and how many bottles of champagne are popping
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) did we leave out anything is there anything else we should chat about
1: well, I want to know about you. I think for like every episode, the the guest should be asking you what's going on in your world. So I want to hear what's up in the world of Andy.
0: Well, that's that's a good question. Um, I just put out a Fleetwood Mac medley of Gold Dust Woman in the Chain mm. with my band that's that's rocking. Um, we went into the studio last December, and I guess in in the middle of a tour in Boise too, and we just recorded a bunch of songs. So. I was sort of able to when this hit do overdubs here at home so i've been trying to have always have a release coming out and try to do something uh creative with it i cross-dressed as stevie nicks for all the promo for this one that just came out so just trying to do something creative and and consistently put out music and focus towards um house concerts i'm in the the listening room network so i've been trying to book twenty twenty two shows. I'm out there booking them. So that's That's great.
1: Yeah. I always admire you. And yeah, don't we don't see each other, especially with COVID in person as much as we should. But you know, you're someone who everyone that I know admires and respects. So thanks for hustling and doing Fleetwood Max. That's my favorite.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. That's nice of you to say. And 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 likewise, it's so great to be able to connect with you right now. And hopefully we'll be able to do it more often in a few months.
1: I would love that. And get me a holiday song. We'll put you on the special for No Co Live from Home Show.
0: Okay. Okay. We'll do. <laughs>
1: uh, awesome. See, now I had to put you on the spot here so it happens because I really want one from you. Okay. Now it's well, <laughs> I actually I should say I arranged um an original
0: Christmas song for a big band and I did a MIDI mock up, but we're we're not gonna it was initially a commission piece for somebody for uh we kind of co-wrote it together and he was going to give it to his kids and grandkids for the holiday. But we're not going to be able to record the real instruments until next year at this point. But I do have a MIDI mock-up of it. So if I don't get something else together, I'll send that over.
1: Perfect. It's a deal. We'll virtually shake on it.
0: Virtually shake on it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And to everybody listening, be sure to check out Sarah's music and the links in the show notes too if you want to help out. Um, With independent music venues, independent artists, there's more ways now than ever to do so.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thanks.
0: There you have it. Thanks, Sarah. Episode 50 is in the books, and it was a special one indeed. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you enjoy your holiday, whatever your routines are, however they're switched. Maybe you'll come up with some new traditions and routines that you enjoy and Whatever's been your fate so far in 2020, I hope it looks up for everyone. I want to mention one more time, if you want to support this podcast in a monetary way, you can do so at patreon.com slash andy do S-Y-D-O-W, for as little as $3 per month, and it really helps me out a lot. You can support in a free way by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, you can send those to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. I'm your host, Andy Siddow. Thanks so much for listening. Let's play out the episode with Sarah Slayton's new single, Get Up, out December 11th. Be sure to pre-save it if you're listening to the episode before then, as the link is in the show notes. Thanks.
2: Waking up, I'm feeling down again. It's like a stranger's living in my skin When did I start to live a life that stopped feeling like it was mine Can I get back up this time?